questions to the Prime Minister. Mr. Martin Day. Number one, Mr. Speaker. Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I know the whole House will wish to join me in congratulating Leicester City on winning the Premier League title. to one outsiders at the start of the season. They've shown superb ability, incredible resilience and a great team ethic. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Martin Day. Thank you Mr Speaker. May I start by uh, associating myself with the comments regarding Leicester City, something we can agree on with the Prime Minister. The Foreign Secretary said on Monday there is a need for a new initiative in the Syria dialogue to keep it alive. Will the Prime Minister withdraw his airstrikes, which have done nothing to bring about peace, and redouble his efforts in securing political resolution to war through a new dialogue as recommended by his own Foreign Secretary? Yeah. Prime Minister. Well, I think we should do both things, which is to continue to hit uh, Daesh terrorists because they threaten our country, but at the same time do everything we can to support uh, dialogue between the opposition and the Syrian regime, which is what uh, the process has been about. And we'll continue to take both those steps. Cole yeah. McCartney. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Speaker. My right honourable friend will be aware that tomorrow in Lincoln, 33 Conservative candidates are standing in the city elections yeah. along with our yeah. county's PCC candidate, and Labour will lose some seats. Yeah. We in Lincoln are all aware of the need for tolerance and the stamping out of racism and anti-Semitism, yeah. especially considering my Labour's predecessor's current role on the Board of Deputies. So would my right honourable friend join me and all our colleagues on this side of the House in condemning the actions and propaganda of Hezbollah and Hamas? Honourable friends, candidates, well, if you want to have well-run services uh, at a good cost and keep taxes down, it's right to vote Conservative right across the country. But the point he makes about Hamas is important. We should be clear about who they are. They are a terrorist group who believe in killing Jews. And that's why uh, whatever the right honourable gentleman says about combating anti-Semitism in the Labour Party will mean nothing until he withdraws the remark that they were his friends. He needs to do it, and he should do it today. Mr Speaker, I join the Prime Minister in congratulating Leicester City on their amazing achievements. I hope it's not an indication he's going to support another football team, or is he going to stick with the, stick with the two he's got already? Um, later, today, later today, Mr Speaker, Commemorations begin for Holocaust Memorial Day in Israel. I hope there is agreement right across all parts of this House in sending our best wishes to those commemorating the occasion and sending a very clear statement that anti-Semitism has no place in our society whatsoever and we all have a duty to oppose it. Tomorrow, Mr Speaker, people will go to the polls in council elections in England. Nine of the ten most deprived councils are set to see cuts higher than the national average, with eight facing cuts more than three times the national average, meaning less money for youth services, for adult social care and for those in areas of the greatest need. The Prime Minister used to say, we're all in it together. 
What happened to that? First of all, let me join the right hon. Gentleman in saying yes, of course, we should always support Holocaust Memorial Day, whether it is here in the United Kingdom, where we have a number of commemorations, or indeed in Israel. But I'm going to press him on this point, because he did say this. He said, it will be my pleasure and my honour to host an event in Parliament where our friends from Hezbollah will be speaking. I've also invited friends from Hamas to come and speak as well. Now, Hamas and Hezbollah believe in killing Jews, not just in Israel, but around the world. So would he take this opportunity? Because if he wants to clear up the problem of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, now is a good time to start. Withdraw that they're your friends. Mr Speaker, I've made it very clear Labour is an anti-racist party and there is no place for anti-Semitism within it. We've suspended any members that have undertaken any anti-Semitic activities or work or statements and have established an inquiry led by Shami Chakrabarti. The, the, points, the points he was making earlier relate to a discussion I was hosting in order to try to promote a peace process and it was not an approval of those organisations. I absolutely do not approve of those organisations. Mr Speaker, the reality, of the reality is that vulnerable people are being abandoned in this country. The Prime Minister has said that social care and support for the elderly is a priority for him. So if that's the case, why has he cut $4.5 billion since 2010 from the adult social care budget, leaving 300,000 older people without care and support they need to live in dignity? First of all, we're putting more money into social care and we're allowing councils to raise the council tax to put that money in. But I'm afraid he's going to have to do this one more time. He referred to Hamas and Hezbollah as his friends. Now, he needs to withdraw that remark. Let me give him another chance. Are they your friends or are they not? Because those organisations, in their constitutions, believe in persecuting and killing Jews. They are anti-Semitic organisations. They're racist organisations organisations, he must stand up and say they are not his friends. Mr Speaker, obviously anyone that commits racist acts or is anti-Semitic is not a friend of mine. It's very clear, it's very clear about that. <coughs> I'm very clear about that. I would also invite him to think for a moment about the conduct of his party and his candidate in the London mayoral election. The way in which they're systematically smearing my friend, the member for Tooting, who's our candidate for mayor. I wish him well, and I invite the Prime Minister to undertake to ensure that the Conservative Party in London desists from the activities it's undertaking at the present time in smearing my friend. Last week, Mr Speaker, the Joseph Roundry Foundation's destitution report found that 1.25 million people in Britain were unable to afford the essentials needed to eat, stay warm, clean and dry. The number of people using food banks has risen again last year. The Prime Minister usually lectures us about a stronger economy. When will that stronger economy mean that fewer people need to use food banks? 
What the stronger economy means is there are over two million more people in work than when I became Prime Minister. That you can earn £11,000 before you pay tax as I'm Prime Minister. And we've now introduced a national living wage, something never done in 13 years of a Labour government. But I completely reject what he says about Labour's candidate for the London mayoralty. I would make this argument, as I said before at this dispatch box, we are not responsible for everything someone says when they share a platform with us. We can't control everyone who appears in a picture, but there is a pattern of behaviour with the Honourable Member for Tooting. And let me tell him, he shared a platform with Sajil Shaheed, the man who trained the ringleader of the 7-7 attacks and accused the United States of bringing 9-11 on themselves. He shared a platform with an extremist who called for Jews to be drowned in the ocean. When this was put to the Honourable Member for Tooting, this is what he said. He described it as mere flowery language. Now, if he wants to know why he has a problem with anti-Semitism, it's because his candidates share platform after platform after platform with extremists and anti-Semites and then excuse their words. One more time, say you withdraw the remark about Hamas and Hezbollah being your friends. Mr Speaker, last week the Prime Minister tried, as he often does, to smear my friend, the member for Tooting, by his uh, association with Solomon Ghani. It turns out that Mr Ghani is actually an active Conservative supporter who has shared platforms with the Honourable Member for Richmond. He also should reflect on the words said by Lord Lansley some years ago that racism was endemic within his party. We have set up up a commission of inquiry. I suggest he might think about doing the same thing. Lord Kerslake, Mr Speaker, the former government housing chief, has said the housing bill effectively removes the security that people need. It is fundamentally wrong. Homelessness up by a third since he became Prime Minister and rising again this year. A voter, Malcolm, wrote to me this week and said he and his family will lose their home if the government's housing bill goes through. Why can't the Prime Minister follow the example set by the Welsh Labour government in placing a in placing in placing a legal duty, a legal responsibility on councils to help people during a housing crisis? Why can't he do that? I tell you what this government has done, not in Wales, where Labour in control, but here in England, we built twice as much council housing in the last six years as Labour did in the previous 13. But I'm not going to let this issue rest about the Honourable Member Tooting. He raised the case of Suleiman Ghani. who who the member for Tooting shared a platform with nine times. This is a man who says it's wrong to stop people to go and fight. Look, as long as it takes, do you want to know know the views of the person that your your leader has just quoted? He described women as... Right. The Honourable Member for Islington might be interested in this. He described women as subservient to men. He said that homosexuality was an unnatural act. He he stood on a platform with people who wanted an Islamic state. That is why his attempts to deal with anti-Semitism are utterly condemned to failure.
because he won't even condemn people who sit on platforms with people like that. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, I did point out to the Prime Minister, I was actually trying to help him, that uh, the gentleman concerned is actually a Conservative. And so maybe he would care to think about that. Um, he might also consider that uh, Shazia Arwan, a former Conservative parliamentary candidate, said this of the Tory mayoral campaign, I'll be voting Labour. A lifelong Tory voter and ex-candidate, I'm ashamed of the repulsive campaign of hate. So, Mr Speaker, in fact, homelessness has been reduced by 67% in Wales since the new regulations came in. Why can't you do the same in this country? Inequality, of course, is getting worse. Education ought to be a route out of poverty. But new figures show that the number of people participating on a Level 2 adult education course in the first half of this year fell by a fifth compared to last year. How can we tackle inequality when the Prime Minister and his Government are taking away the opportunities for people to find a pathway out of poverty? He, he, he talks about inequality. Inequality has gone down under this Government. There are 764,000 fewer workless households. There are 449,000 fewer children living in workless households. Why? Because we've got a growing economy, a living wage, more jobs, people paying less taxes. That is what's happening under this government. But once again, I say to him, we are investing in the schools to give people opportunity. We're investing schemes to allow people to own homes to give them opportunities. He opposes all those things because the truth is this. He may be a friend of the terrorist group Hamas, but he's an enemy of aspiration. Mr Speaker, politics is about choices. The Prime Minister cuts... The order, 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 order. Let me very gently say to the assiduous but slightly over-enthusiastic government whip, the Honourable Gentleman the Member for Hexham, that his role is to be seen and not heard. No further noise from the Honourable Gentleman today or his sidekick to his right. A cabal of whips will not shout people down in this chamber. Be quiet or leave. Very simple. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister... This government has cut income tax for the richest, cut capital gains tax, cut corporation tax again and again. At every turn, they make the wrong choices. Tomorrow, people can make their own choices about the crisis of social care, the housing crisis in this country, the unprecedented cuts to local councils in areas of greatest need. The cuts to further education, taking opportunities away from young people. The choices have been made. They cut taxes for the rich. We want to ensure that there is proper taxation to ensure there are decent services for the rest. Prime Minister! He's right. Tomorrow is about choices. You can choose a party that's on the side of security for hard-working people. Yeah. That wants to 
make sure there are more jobs, there's better pay, there's lower taxes, there's good schools for your children, there's a seven-day NHS there for you when you need it. Or the other choice, you can back a party that puts extremists over working people. And that is utterly incapable of providing the leadership your local council needs or our country needs. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that in order to create a northern powerhouse that can produce innovation and prosperity, investment is needed in vital transport links in our northern cities? Of particular concern to my constituents is the junction of the A34 and the A560 at Gatley. Will the Prime Minister and his ministers meet with me to discuss how we can keep traffic moving into and out of the great city of Manchester and alleviate congestion in my constituency of Cheadle? Prime Minister. Well, my honourable friend is absolutely right to raise this, and that's why we established Transport for the North to look exactly at schemes like the one she proposes so that we can speak with one voice. It's also why we're investing £13 billion in transport across the north over this parliament. Planning for the next road investment strategy after 2020 is also now underway, so I think it's absolutely the right, right, right time to make the point that she does. Mr Angus Robertson. Last week the Prime Minister took issue when I raised the issue of unaccompanied Syrian refugee children in Europe and the kinder transports of the 1930s. Since then, he's been written to by Sir Erich Reich, the chairman of the Kinder Transport Association of Jewish Refugees, and he wrote, The echoes of the past haunt many of my fellow Kinder and I, whose fate similarly rested with members of the British Parliament. I feel it is incumbent on us to once again demonstrate our compassion and human kindness to provide sanctuary to those in need. Why has it taken so long? and the threat of a parliamentary defeat for the Prime Minister to begin changing his mind. Prime Minister! Well, first of all, let me pay tribute to the gentleman that the uh, Honourable Member raises. And also, let's be clear that no country has done more than Britain to help when it comes to Syrian refugees. No country has raised more money, and only the United States has spent more money. But I do want us to proceed with as much support across the House as we can. I think it's right to stick to the principle that we shouldn't be encouraging people to make this dangerous journey. I think it's right to stick to the idea we keep investing in the refugee camps and in the neighbouring countries. And I also think it's right not to take part in the EU relocation and resettlement schemes, which have been, in my view, a failure. Now, we're already taking child migrants in Europe with a direct family connection to the UK, and we'll speed that up. And I'm also talking to say the children to see what we can do more, particularly with children who came here before the EU-Turkey deal was signed. Because as I say again, what I don't want us to do is to take steps that will encourage people to make this dangerous journey, because in other- otherwise our actions, however well-meaning they will be, could result in more people dying rather than more people getting a good life. Robertson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last week I, pri- I accused the Prime Minister of walking by on the other side when he stoutly defended his then-policy opposing further help for unaccompanied refugee children in Europe. So, if what we are hearing now is indeed the beginnings of a U-turn, yeah. uh-huh. I very much welcome very it, as I'm sure do members on all sides of the House. Yeah. 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 I encourage him to think more about what can be done, given, of course, that the Kinder Transport helped 10,000 children from Europe. So, will I ask the Prime Minister, finally, to take the opportunity to thank Lord Alf Dubbs 
and all campaigners who have worked so hard for the UK to live up to the example and the spirit of the Kinder Transport. I certainly think uh, that all those people deserve recognition for the work they've done to put this issue so squarely on the agenda. But let me just say again, I do reject the comparison with the Kinder Transport. And for this reason, I would argue that what we are doing primarily, which is taking children from the region, taking vulnerable people from the camps, going to the neighbouring countries and taking people into our country, housing them, clothing them, feeding them, making sure they can have a good life here, that to me is like the kinder transport. To say that the kinder transport is taking today children from France or Germany or Italy, safe countries that are democracies, I think... I think that is an insult to those countries. But as I've said, because of the steps that we're taking, it won't be necessary to send the Dubs amendment back to the other place. The amendment doesn't now mention a number of people. We're going to go round the local authorities and see what more we can do. But let's stick to the principle that we should not be taking new arrivals to Europe. Nigel Evans. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, the Department of Health are looking to introduce uh, a cell-free DNA test for pregnant women in order to reduce the number of miscarriages, but this will have the unintended consequence of increasing the number of abortions for those uh, with Down's syndrome. I know there's nobody in this house who cares more about those with special needs uh, for protection and uh, for the safety of those with special needs, so will the Prime Minister meet with me and representatives of the East Lancashire Down Syndrome support group in order that we can look at ways of protecting those with Down Syndrome and that they will not be simply screened out. Minister. Well, I think my honourable friend raises a very important issue and actually um, a local group of Down Syndrome parents came to my constituency surgery on Friday and made all these arguments to me and uh, as a constituency MP I'm taking this up with the Department of Health to make sure that all the right processes are followed. There are moral and ethical issues that need to be considered uh, in these cases but on the other hand we also have to respect the view that women want to have screening and testing uh, about the health of of their children and we should be in favour of maximum transparency on the basis that it is optional rather than mandatory but it is part of routine care so the health secretary is going to have to find a way through this but above all we make sure we go about it in the right way Alex Cunningham thank you very much yeah. Mr Speaker NIFCO UK manufactures car components for Ford and Nissan cars and employs hundreds of people including many from my own constituency I'm sure the Prime Minister knows of the need for us all to get behind our manufacturing industry, but does he agree with NIFCO's managing director, Mike Matthews, who says it would be business suicide for the UK to leave the EU? I think we should listen to all the business voices, particularly those in manufacturing, so many of whom say that we are better off in a reformed European Union. We get an enormous amount of investment, uh, particularly from uh, Japanese motor industries. I'll be welcoming the Japanese Prime Minister here to the UK tomorrow, where I'm sure this will be on the agenda. Closed question, Dr Julian Lewis. Number 12, yeah. Mr Speaker. Prime Minister. NATO is the cornerstone of Britain's defence, but our place in the EU, in my view, is a vital part of protecting our national security. I would argue it helps in two ways. First, by ensuring that issues are settled by dialogue, and second, helping to provide assistance in particular circumstances, for example, the Balkans. 
Dr Julian Lewis. I entirely agree with the Prime Minister's remarks about NATO, but does he accept that whilst dictatorships often attack democracies or other dictatorships, democracies seldom, if ever, go to war with each other? If an aim of the EU is, as we're constantly told, to prevent conflict between its own members, as in World War I and II, is it not heading in precisely the wrong direction by trying to create an unelected supranational government of Europe which is accountable to nobody? My honourable friend has very long-standing and passionate views on on this issue. Uh, I would make a couple of points in response. First of all, I don't think we should forget that some of the countries now in the European Union, until very recently, weren't democracies but were indeed uh, forms of dictatorship. The second point I'd make is those countries uh, that have worked towards membership of of the EU have had to put in place all sorts of democratic and other norms to help them uh, on their way. The final point I'd make is that we have had an unparalleled period of peace and prosperity in Europe and my argument would be whether you want to attribute all of that to NATO or some of that to the EU why would you want to put it at risk? Rachel Maskell. Thank you Mr Speaker. The findings of the NHS England report into the sudden closure of Booth and Park Mental Health Hospital in York has confirmed that the relationships and authorities between all the NHS bodies as defined under the Health and Social Care Act 2012 are dysfunctional and have failed patient safety. Healthwatch report shows harm occurred since life has been lost. Will the Prime Minister now accept that his Health Act has to change due to the serious risk created and in line with NHS England's recommendations. Well, I'll look very carefully at what she said, but my understanding is that she called for action on an outdated and dangerous facility back in July last year, and that is exactly what happened. I'm pleased that action was taken. Bootham Park wasn't fit for purpose. The CQC identified serious and life-threatening issues on patient safety. They weren't put right, uh, and so as a result, there was a decision to close and then subsequently reopen uh, the facility after changes. So, of course, you're going to have incidences of poor practice. What matters is, do we intervene fast enough and put them right? And in this case, I'll look again at what she said, but it does look as if action was taken. Sir Edward Lee, the Christian Yazidi and Shia children in Syria are suffering from genocide by Daesh, and we should recognise it as such. May urge the Prime Minister to indeed do more to replicate the kinder transport of the 1930s. That is what we are doing in taking children directly from the camps in Syria. If we were to take 16-year-olds from a safe environment in Europe, we would simply be causing more misery and encouraging the people traffickers. basically asked me two questions there. One is uh, whether there's more we can do to label what has happened as genocide. Uh, This has always been something that is done under a legal definition, but I believe very much that uh, it is clearly heading, you know, there's a very strong case for saying it is genocide, and I hope that it will be uh, portrayed uh, and spoken as as such. 
On the issue of the kinder transport, I would uh, agree with him. We've got an enormous amount that we can be proud of, of the m money we put into the camps, the fact we raised more in London on one day than any humanitarian conference has ever raised in the history of the world, and we've got a very strong record. Now, as I'm saying, we are going to do more for children who were already registered in Europe uh, after, before the EU-Turkey deal, but the principle we should try to cling to is that we shouldn't do anything that encourages people to make the perilous journey. That's been the cornerstone of our policy and it should remain the case. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. For the benefit of the House and for 10- and 11-year-olds up and down the country, will the Prime Minister explain what the past progressive tense is? Will he differentiate between a subordinating conjunctive and a coordinating conjunctive? And finally, will he set out his definition, please, of a modal verb? The whole point of these changes is to make sure our children are better educated than, than we are. And that's why I'm delighted with three children at state schools going off to do these tests. I'm absolutely delighted they're going to be. Martin Vickers! Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, three years ago... Three years ago... Order. I want to hear Mr Vickers' inquiry. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Three years ago, five members of the Coburn family from County Durham were killed in a tragic accident on the A18 in my constituency. At the recently concluded inquest, the coroner said he had no confidence in the, work, uh, the proposed work by the Highway Authority to remedy the situation. The Council obviously wants to do all they can and have committed to carry out the work in full. However, resources are very limited. Could my right honourable friend give serious consideration to an application from the Council for additional resources to avoid a future tragedy? Minister. Well, I will certainly have a very close look at uh, the issue that he raises. I know the A18 and the importance of that road for his constituency, uh, and I will look at what the Highways Agency has made available uh, uh, and whether there is real evidence that more could be done to make it safe. Patrick Grady. Yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Eritrea was described as the North Korea of Africa at the recent inaugural all-party group meeting. The meeting heard reports of government-enforced indefinite conscription, and the UK FCO advises against travel to areas within 25 kilometres of the Ethiopian border. Will the Prime Minister personally and urgently review Home Office guidance which says it is safe to transport asylum seekers back to Eritrea? Yeah. Minister. Well, I'll certainly look at what he says. I mean, we know that uh, Eritrea is a uh, deeply undemocratic and aut autocratic country uh, that has done appalling things to its people, and that's one of the reasons why so many of those seeking to cross uh, the Mediterranean, normally through the Libyan route, have come from that country. And when I had the opportunity to meet the Eritrean uh, leadership, as I did at the uh, conference in Valletta in Malta, I made those points very strongly. David Amos. Four years ago, I asked uh, my right honourable friend on behalf of my mother Maud if the EU referendum vote could be brought forward because of her age. She was then 100. She now wishes to know if she needs to set a world record for longevity before the Chilcot report is published. <laughs> I think um, I can... 
I think I can reassure, reassure Maud that, um, uh, that uh, this summer she'll have, uh, I think, a uh, double opportunity to, uh, uh, to, to deal with these things, a referendum on June the 23rd, and I'm sure the Chilcot report will come uh, not, not too much longer after that. And I rather imagine she'll then want a backbench business committee debate on the matter. <laughs> Mr Stephen Kinnock. Thank you, Thank you Mr Speaker. Tata Steel has indicated that it wishes to complete the sale of its UK assets by the middle of June and that it wants a preferred bidder in place by the end of this month. Does the Prime Minister really think that that's a realistic time frame and that there will be a credible process of due diligence? And what steps is the Prime Minister taking to ensure that Tata Steel delivers on its promise to be a responsible seller? No, the Honourable Gentleman is absolutely right about this. I mean, the, the positive news is that the deadline yesterday uh, was met by a number of serious uh, inquiries of interest into buying uh, all of Tata, and that is good news. Uh, obviously now we need to work intensively with Tata and with those buyers to get that list down to those who are really seriously intending to bid for the business. But he's right, it's a very short timetable. He asks what we're doing. What we're doing is talking intensively with Tata to make sure they do everything they can to make sure this is a serious sales process. Prime Minister just made a very important announcement with regard to refugee children, but obviously time is of the essence because of the peculiar vulnerability of children without the guidance and protection of their families. So could the Prime Minister give an indication to the House how quickly it expects to have those arrangements in place? Minister. Well, I don't, I'm very grateful to my right hon. friend who's spoken very powerfully and passionately about this uh, issue. I don't see any reason why there needs to be a long delay. We need to carry out conversations with local councils because many of them are already, particularly in the south of England, under pressure because of the number of uh, child refugees who have come. So we need to carry out those conversations, but then hopefully we can make progress during this year. Theria. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Documents leaked earlier this week appear to confirm what most have feared, that the transatlantic trade and investment partnership makes unacceptable concessions to public health and safety regulations, opening the doors for US investors to sue for loss of profits. Will the Prime Minister recognise the concern raised by the French President and tell this House what protections his government are seeking for the National Health Service and Public Service? I, uh, this is the reddest of red herrings, I have to say. The Health Service is completely protected under this agreement as it is under other agreements. Look, there are all sorts of reasons people might be against free trade and wanting to see an expansion of trade and investment and jobs. I think people should be honest about it and say they don't want to see these things happen, rather than actually finding total red herrings for getting in the way of what could add tens of billions of pounds to our economy and bring jobs and investment to our country. Calm yourself, Mr Campbell. You're supposed to be a senior statesman in the House. Calm down. Take up yoga, I've told you before. Cheryl Murray. Blue Lifeboat in my constituency celebrates its 150th anniversary this year. Will my right honourable friend join me in congratulating and thanking not only the Blue Lifeboat men, but all of those lifeboat men who keep us safe at sea. Yeah. 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 
I'm very happy to do that uh, in conjunction with my honourable friend. They're incredibly brave people. Having met some of them, uh, particularly during uh, the flood episodes that we've had in recent years, I know the immense professionalism and dedication that they bring to the task, and they put their lives at risk all the time to save others. They really are the bravest of the brave. Next question, Graham Allen. Number 13, Mr Speaker. Um, what matters is what works and allows the government to make long-term decisions in the long-term interests of the country. In my view, five-year fixed-term parliaments are an important part of that. Graham Allen. Does the uh, Prime Minister ensure that his government's performance also includes the long-overdue creation of a centre of evidence on sexual abuse of children, something I first raised in PMQs with Margaret Thatcher in 1989. We can deal with the awful consequences of child sex abuse on victims and perpetrators, but we must also use early intervention expertise to stop it from happening in the first place. Will the Prime Minister back the excellent work of ministers and members from all parties and get this much-needed What Works Centre up and running without delay within the five-year term of this government? I'm glad the Honourable Gentleman rescued his own question. <laughs> With those last words, we're grateful to him, constitutionally at least, Prime um, Minister. Well, I'm, I'm sorry it's taken a question in 1989 to take so long to get an answer, but I can tell him that setting up a centre of expertise on sexual abuse is exactly what the Home Office is doing. It will play a significant role in identifying and sharing high-quality evidence on what works to prevent and deal with sexual abuse and exploitation. Alongside this, the Department of Education's existing What Works Centre will ensure that social workers across the country are able to learn from the best examples. I think it's a good example of, of government reform, which I know he supports. John Barron. The Prime Minister and we on these benches can be very proud of the fact that in recent years we have reduced both relative poverty and income inequality. We are, we are a one-nation party or we are nothing. So does he agree with Lord Rose, the leader of the Remain campaign, that if we were to leave the EU and exercise greater control over immigration for the sake of public services, then wages would rise even faster. Yeah. Minister! I think what would happen if we were to leave the EU is we would see an impact on our economy that would be largely negative. And that's not just my view, that's the view now of the Bank of England, the IMF, the OECD, and a growing number of international bodies. Uh, I would say to anybody who wants to make this choice, uh, obviously it's a choice for the British people, a choice to make. But I think I think we have to be clear about the economic consequences. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. In 1972, aged just 19, nine months married and six months pregnant with their first child, my constituent Susan Lee received a knock on the door to say that her husband, Private James Lee, had been killed in action in Northern Ireland. Yet when Susan, now Rimmer, married and found love again, she lost all compensation for her and her daughter, Donna Marie and still has no compensation for having made that huge sacrifice. That is a disgraceful way to treat those who have lost loved ones serving our country. And will the Prime Minister meet with me and Mrs Rimmer to discuss this case and the injustice that still face several hundred war widows in this country? I'll make sure that, that Susan um, Rimmer gets the, the meeting and the attention that she deserves. I know my right hon. Friend, the Minister for Defence Personnel and Veterans, met with the War Widows Association earlier this year to put forward their case. Of course, it was this Government that did make the historic change so that war widows who remarried from April 1, 2015 would retain their war widows' pension. That was a change long asked for and only delivered under this Government. 
We'll continue to look at this issue, but at the moment we are of the view of the long-standing policy of successive governments that we shouldn't um, make these changes and apply them retrospectively. Kaczynski. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, yesterday, the Foreign Affairs Select Committee started our inquiry on Anglo-Russian relations. This afternoon, I have a Westminster Hall debate on Anglo-Russian relations. Despite all of the tensions that exist between our two countries, will the Prime Minister give us an assurance that he will redouble his efforts to try to lower tensions with this fellow permanent member of the UN Security Council? Well, of course we want to keep uh, tensions low, and of course we want to have good relations, but we cannot ignore the fact that Russian-backed and directed separatists have effectively tried to redraw the boundaries of Europe. And when we consider how dangerous exercises like that have been in the past, we have to take them extremely seriously in the present. Prime Minister for joining Leicestershire MPs and the rest of the planet in congratulating <laughs> Leicester City Football Club on their brilliant and historic success in the Premier League. During this amazing season, the local Leicester hero, Gary Lineker, thought the idea of Leicester winning was so far-fetched that he said if they did win, he would present match of the day in his underwear. As As an Aston Villa supporter, and my commiserations to the Prime Minister on their season, does he agree that in politics, as well as in football, when you make a promise, you should keep it? Prime Minister. I absolutely agree. I've been watching um, everything Gary Lineker has said since. He's not quite answering the question, something that, of course, no one ever gets away with in this house. And so uh, I welcome what he said. Um, obviously, I hope it's just the start of him joining the blue team. Yeah.